0: This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith
1: and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vohr, and I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxandler. I thought about doing a pause there cuz a lot of a lot of podcasts, let's do they'll be like, "Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Robert Vohr.
0: And I'm Dr. Holly Oxandler. Yeah, there you go.
1: See that's I don't a lot of them do that. So I was well, thinking about it I'm while I was like, driving.
0: And I was going to try to not laugh since last time you called me out on how I laugh each time when we start. So I'm like I'm not going to laugh. But then that was you like just calling did that. You
1: out. I think we both I'm always kind of chuckling when I say the intro <laughs> as well cuz we're usually coming off a funny conversation.
0: That's True. That's it's true. It's fine.
1: We're friends. We talk. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, I how know, we really are friends. It's how awesome.
1: are you doing, Doctor Holly Oxandler?
0: Oh, I'm doing well. So we were just talking as uh, right before Robert started recording. I was telling him that. And I know I mentioned this in last week's episode that I had a retreat with Gravity Center with Chris and Felina Hewitz and their sweet puppy, Basil, and Betty, who helps kind of run everything. So yeah, I was on a retreat this weekend out in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was a silent retreat. So it was for a couple of days, no talking and no eye contact. And so grand silence for a couple of days. It was, it was good. It was good and pretty, lots of pretty intense. Yes, it was. I had some colleagues who were like, "Oh, that must have been so restful." I'm like, "Um, no, it's 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 hard. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's good. I'm glad to be on the other side of it, but it was a a lot of silence and then a lot of centering prayer practices throughout the whole week. So I think it was like they said, like six or eight hours of meditation through the the time. So, but it was so good. Oh, it was so good. Well, good. So good. Yeah. And I know I had mentioned this to you, but I found out that one of the other retreatants listens to our episode. So um, I'm going to do a little hello to yeah. Miss Isabella, um, who, as we were talking after the retreat was done and kind of learning about one another, I had told her that this is one of the things I do. And she was like, oh my gosh, I listen to y'all every week. So, so hi, Isabella. Um, so it was hi, good Isabella. seeing her. Hi. And then there are a couple of other folks who I know were like they subscribed right in front of me. So um, Claire <laughs> and and there was no pressure on my part. They just, you know, did it. But um, Claire and Elizabeth and Eddie and Orion, like just hello to each of you. And for anyone else who might be listening who was at the retreat, just thank you for that shared space this last weekend. It was good.
1: So, yeah. Little do you yeah. know when they, they unsubscribed once you left and now yeah, they'll right, never hear whatever,
0: it. But. But not, like, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it was really, it was really good. So, good. what about you? How are you doing? And how's good. your family weekend? Good. And- yeah,
1: we went to uh, Auburn actually for just the the day on Saturday. Uh, so Brooke and I went, and then we we left Gray at home with Brooke's mom came to watch him. But the ministry, the the campus ministry that we both worked at in Auburn, that Brooke like spent time at for her whole college career, was having like a 40th anniversary banquet type thing, and so. We went and we just, we left early enough to where we could kind of spend the whole day. So we got lunch and then we walked around campus and things like that. And then went to the event in the evening. Um, So that was really good. We got to kind of just explore, see what has changed since we left. And then also see a whole bunch of people that we really love uh, at that event, obviously. So, (laughs) and actually similarly, I met some folks who uh, said, hey, I listened to your show, which is always, I'm sure you feel the same way where it's like kind of cool, but also kind of catches you off guard, you know, because you're not necessarily expecting it. So that was pretty cool. I didn't like make a list of names per se, but um, shout out <laughs> at least to uh, Jacob and Emmy who um, I just waved as if they can. Ah, it's fine. I waved. No,
0: no, no. Yeah, we're waving. Yeah, yeah. that's good.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was good to be back in Auburn mm-hmm. where we did undergrad.
0: That's awesome. No, that's so good. I'm glad that y'all had a little time to get away too. And yeah, to go back to a space that was home and, you know, for a bit and just to kind of catch up with some old friends and. Yeah.
1: That's good. So actually, this is – I have a perfect transition for us. Uh, I just got a a Twitter notification on my phone from the CXMH account that uh, our friend Jenna DeWitt, who Holly Stockup had mentioned on that Uh episode, she tweeted at Aaliyah Joy asking – if she had talked to us yet, because she was looking uh, for a podcast, and Aaliyah said, yes, I did. I talked to them, and the episode comes out uh, this coming week, and it literally just popped up as we're recording the intro to uh, that episode. So we talked awesome. with Aaliyah Joy for this episode about her new book that comes out April 2nd. That's the day after this comes out, and it's Sorry? called Glorious Weakness, Discovering God in All We Lack. Holly, what did you think of the book and of the, the episode, the interview? Yeah.
0: So the book, I I loved the book. I loved Aaliyah's this raw honesty and vulnerability and truth, the sense of truth, deep truth that, that emerged in so much of what she was writing about. She called out some things that I think I appreciated that she was willing to wrap some words around, but she also just has this beautiful way. I mean, she, she, there, she, we talk a little bit about this other uh, like post that she did, like a blog post just about writing in general and the process of writing and like finding these words to, to, t- to describe their experience. But I just want to let our listeners know, I think that the, the way in which she pulls together these beautiful words to explain it, it's just, it's fantastic. So, Um, So I'm grateful for her honesty. I'm grateful for her creativity of bringing these words together, for her ability to be so vulnerable with us and to really dive deeply in her own struggles um, from back when she was a child to today and how those have continued to take shape and manifest, but how she's grown over the years through these and how she's used these sense of weaknesses. I mean, I use, I say weakness with like quotes because I think she really speaks to like Look at the ways in which these help us grow and and see God's glory in 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 these moments. So I loved it. And I just loved getting to know Aaliyah like her personality is beautiful. And I'm so grateful for her presence. But that's a little bit about I mean, I yeah. Tell me what about you? What did
1: you think? No, I mean, I loved it. I think uh, I texted you before this, before we did the interview, like multiple days before, and I said, Holly, you're going to love this book. And
0: in yeah. the uh,
1: the shared document where we type some questions for guests that we reference and things, uh, you can always tell how much I uh, like the book or something like that if it's a book when it devolves largely into me just typing quotes from the book instead of putting any yeah. questions. Uh, <laughs> and this document I'm scrolling through right now is just full of just beautiful quotes I mean her style of writing obviously the the topic is beautiful but the, her style of writing and that sense of vulnerability and using stories and but still making like really good points I think is is incredible so I, I really loved it and then like you said just getting to know her and, and talk to her I don't know just wonderful well without us maybe talking it up for a whole bunch more uh, I know you know that's what we think but we want our listeners to form their own view of the yeah i guess uh but (laughs) hey i will say this book does come out tomorrow by the time you're listening to this if you're listening to it on release day but you can obviously pre-order it or if you're Mm -hmm. listening to it after that you can just regular order it so definitely make sure you do that it's it's definitely worth your time to read it's fantastic
0: yeah i agree i agree all right y'all well Well, here is our episode with Aliyah joy
1: enjoy Today, we are so excited to be joined by Aliyah Joy. She is an author who believes that darkness is illuminated when we grasp each other's hand and walk into the night together. She writes poignantly about her life with bipolar disorder, as well as grief, faith, marriage, poverty, race, embodiment, and keeping fluent in the language of hope. Sushi is her love language, and she balances her cynical idealism with humor and awkward pauses, and she lives in Central Oregon with her husband her tiny Asian mother, her three kids, a dog, a bunny, and a bunch of chickens. That might be the best bio I've ever read. Aaliyah, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you guys?
1: Good. Good. Yeah, thank you for being here.
0: (laughs) It's so good to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Uh, Aside from that fun bio, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners about yourself or anything like that before we dig into the, the book?
2: No, I think that covers that covers that's the bird's eye view of
1: who I am and what I do. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, you're also the author of the new book Glorious Weakness, Discovering God in All We Lack, which comes out April second. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this, so you can go and pre order and all that. And that's kind of the what we're going to focus on mostly today, but I'd love to start with, I know that you've been writing online longer than, obviously, you've you've had a book out about many of those same topics, right? So poverty, race, bipolar disorder, grief, faith, marriage. What got you started in terms of writing and doing so publicly? That
2: would have been like a hypomanic phase where I decided, it was before I was actually diagnosed with bipolar, I was diagnosed really late on to my 30s. I went through a phase where I um, decided to take sewing classes and like a, adult education sewing classes. Yeah. So I started sewing um, for my kids, like massive, like massive amounts of things because I was kind of in a manic stage where you decide to buy all the all the sewing stuff in the whole world and to make to stay up hours and hours, dresses and costumes, and I just thought I was like really motivated in my hobbies, and I thought uh, I started following sewing blogs. That was my first introduction to blogs. And I thought, oh my gosh, free patterns. And then I saw they would get like, this was back in 2012. So it was during the time when manufacturers would do like sponsored products. And they had this thing called like the silhouette machine and it cut fabric and did all this fancy stuff and <laughs> cut vinyl. And I was like, oh, I have to have that. But it was like 200 or $300. And so I thought to myself, I can, I can do a blog. I, I'll do a do-it-yourself blog with like sewing tips and like... <laughs> talk about, like, homeschooling and I, parenting, which, I mean, mm. I, at, so I don't even know what I would have said about parenting, but I was very <laughs> motivated, and um, so I started a blog, and then I realized I actually hate <laughs> that the steps, and you have to, like, take oh. pictures, and you have to explain everything, and I was like, this mm. is terrible, it's not worth it, um, so I kind of fell into it completely backwards, I had no intention of sharing all my feelings on the internet. But shortly after that, I came down from the, the you know, manic,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, phase and just crashed and terrible, terrible depression mm-hmm. for months. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing through it cause I had this blog, um, and pretty soon there were people showing up and they were saying, I feel this way too. And, and, you know, I'm going through this too. And so it kind of, it was a, you know, random sort of community that formed, Yeah. Um, it wasn't intentional. I didn't think, and when I first started, actually, I just, I talked about the depression. I didn't even know I had bipolar. And then during that time I was diagnosed as bipolar because I was not getting better. And then it all made sense. Like I was like looking back at my life and going, Oh, like I could just chart the cycles. Like this is when I was doing this This when I was doing this. Um, but I, I was hesitant to, to call myself anything other than depressed because mm. of the mm. stigma involved. I thought people are going to think I'm totally crazy. Yeah. If mm. I say that I have bipolar, I remember watching like a law and order SUV, something like years and years ago. And there was like a, a woman who had bipolar disorder. And I mean, she, you know, I just thought, Oh, that's like, I'm not that, you know,
1: sure, yeah. just yeah. So a lot
2: when I'm you know, <laughs> or whatever. And so uh, there was this distance that I had. And then I have a friend whose son has bipolar disorder and, he's young and she's like, we don't tell people because we don't want other parents to not want their kids to play with him or not want Mm. people around him at youth group or those kind of things. And I just thought people need to be like talking about this so that they know.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, So I, I, not that anybody has to share, you know, their mental illness or their diagnosis if they don't want to. There's a lot of reasons why people uh, don't. And I completely respect that. A lot of my readers can't because of their jobs or their, you know mm-hmm. things that that just you know they're not able to, and so they feel very mm-hmm. isolated. But I thought if we can, and I, and I can, then maybe it will help people to know, like this is the experience, this is what it's like, and it, you know,
1: yeah, normalize it for people. So yeah, that's how that, it started. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Came for yeah. the sewing tips and stayed for the vulnerability and stigma <laughs> busting, and yeah, yeah. No, that's really
0: good. Well, and I. And I'm so grateful for your courage, too, because, you know, I appreciate you saying, you know, that you're in a space where you feel like you can, but that doesn't make it any easier to still step into that and offer that vulnerability. So that that courage is, I mean, it's remarkable. And and I'm really thankful for you being willing to do that. So that's good. Well, um, I do want to. So I love hearing a little bit about how you got into kind of the blog and and being, you know, this truth teller when it comes to your feelings in so many ways. Um, And I first want to really highlight just what a beautiful writer you are. Like I was texting with Robert, and the way in which you like the words you choose. And I saw a, a blog that you did recently about this. I don't remember who posted it. Someone posted it somewhere, but you wrote like a like a little blog about writing and how important it is to carefully like curate those words. And oh my gosh, it just, I loved it. I really want to- I think
1: I tweeted it because she was talking about did the you? rhythm that oh, okay. words have and uh, and everything like that. I think right. I, you might've seen it elsewhere, but I also, I think I tweeted some quotes from that.
0: That's yeah. awesome. Well, I definitely want to make sure we link that into our show notes, but um, I just really loved that. Um, And I really want to start there. Just what a beautiful writer you are and how well you craft your words to be able to tell these stories. It's beautiful. So I first want to start with that. So you broke this book down into four parts, um, mainly you know, looking at weakness, and again, thinking within that, um, in, with regard to poverty, of longing, of lack, and then shifted into hope, tied more to identity and a community of brokenness and ordinary. Um, and then the third part was around strength. So strength of lament, of dependence, of being found. And then you wrap this book up with glory, particularly focused on of the beloved. And so I first want to hear kind of just Maybe the overarching, like as you wove these pieces together and we'll break, you know, we'll talk about each of them in a little bit more detail, but, but what was this process like of pulling these main pieces together and seeing kind of how they create the structure for your book?
2: I didn't actually see the structure of my Mm -hmm. book that, that I just, I knew that I wanted to explore. I mean, I knew the areas that I wanted to explore, but I didn't have a lot of idea of how that would come together. I've never done this before, never taken like a writing class or, so I pretty much am like, I write my feelings on the internet and I'm going to write a book. And when I first got the book contract, I had like probably a good four months of, I had a longer contract because I knew that I have, you know, struggles with mental illness and health things and I wanted that padding, but it was probably a good four months of just total imposter syndrome and being blocked. And I would write, and I would write with all my critics in my head, like everybody mm. that could think that this was for like, oh, yeah. you to talk about this stuff or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're not qualified enough or you're not an expert. You're not, you know, just like all of that was in my head. And so I was just frozen. And I remember reading something to my mom and she's like, this does not sound like you. Like this isn't your voice. Like you're, you know, I was trying to to, to appease my critics. And there's a place for that in writing, I think. But, you know, to have that to have that in your mind, I, I think that's good to look at other perspectives and stuff and to weigh those. But I was, I've always been an intuitive writer, Enneagram for all the feels. And, um, <laughs> oh, I don't, I, love I, don't it. I don't write from a highly, I don't write from like my, my mind, like my thoughts. I write from my more like my feelings. And, you know, I talk about that in that article. Like I, it's what I experience and what I see and what I, you know, paying attention. And so that, that's what I want to re- recreate, you know, the the things that I paid attention to along the way. So I started writing those under kind of those things. And I, I knew before that going in, when I wrote the book proposal, which stories I wanted to tell, you know, when you're writing a memoirish kind of book, you just don't realize how much is like, is your, you're, you're going to not put in. Right. So like <laughs> people could read this book and be like, we know everything about you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, 20 more memoirs that are about yeah. <laughs> things that happened all in between this. And we're just kind of you know, stopping in along the way. But I did know I had a pretty good idea of the stories that I wanted to tell, and the things that I wanted to hit. So I did all of that. And then it was really a friend of mine who kind of came in and saw that I, she I was freaking out, <laughs> as one does. And it was during edits, I was very, very sick, I was not feeling well, and I was just exhausted and done. And, and so she, um she's also an author. And we had been boxing back and forth and she had been, you know, we've been supporting uh, She had, her book came out a couple of months before mine and she read the entire, you know, rough draft manuscript in like 24 hours. And then we got on FaceTime or zoom or something. And we I think we were on there for like six or eight hours. And we just went through yes. each chapter and she was able to pull out like the, this is the thesis of this. This is the theme. Like she was able to, like I wrote it all, the content was all there, but she was mm-hmm. able to see, I have a really hard time. My mind is not structural like that. So like I've never pitched articles. I'm supposed to be pitching articles right now, and they're like, "Pitch us an article." And I'm like, "Can I just write it?" And then you t- like, <laughs> and then you tell me what it's about. Like I like, it will be about something, but it's like, I don't start there, uh, you know. And so, yeah. so she was able to do that for me and help me be like, "This is if you group it like this, then you know, it will, it will yeah. help people, you know, know where they're going. Where I'm like, just follow me. I'm wandering around here, you know. Yeah. So. um, yeah. So, yeah, I think admitting our weaknesses, that's not a strength of mine. I'm not good at it. And asking for help. And, you know, that was an opening for somebody to come in. And her, she's an Enneagram one and extremely structured and really good at this. And I'm like, come boss me. And, you know, and then she did. So so it is. it has been, yeah, the structure of it and the way that it was broken down has been a, a group effort. But,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome. Well, even just there you're talking about admitting your weakness and that's kind of a perfect segue, right? Because the book is called Glorious Weakness and it's it's largely like a really personal pushback against a lot of the ideas that we have in culture and in maybe like the Western American church about weakness and lacking and things like that. Can you talk right. some about what those ideas tend to be and and why it matters how we how we view those? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a an indecency that we think
2: about when we think about need, or we think about lack. We are, you know, we we a lot of us will say that we don't believe in prosperity, you know, the prosperity gospel, or we'll see say that you know that's not really our thing. And but there is an aspect of that that has seeped into so much of our theology. Even for me, when I signed the book deal, I remember very clearly thinking like, okay, God led me through all this really hard stuff, and now I've done this, and I've been obedient, and I've. You know, I didn't really want to write this book, but like yet, but I feel like it's time, and I'm trying to move forward, and and so I signed the book deal, and I thought, you know, like the hedge of protection was going to like <laughs> descend from the heavens and guard me in like plastic wrap and bubble wrap, and I was going to be like free from all, you know, trials, and I was just going to write this book peacefully, and then just all hell broke loose. I got so sick. I've gone through several manic phases. I had changed my meds. I mean was in the hospital, was in the immediate, like just everything. And I'm like, God, like you're supposed to let up and let me do this. Like, this is how this is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. I'm obedient. And then you provide this, you know, safety for me or you, or this Uh is the result that should come from that. This is what it should look like. Uh And I think a lot of us believe that like we do these things and therefore our life should look like this, you know, the hashtag blessed, like if you're faithful, you'll be healthy and you'll have a car and you'll have a good marriage and your kids will grow up and they'll serve God. They're not going to wander. or They're not going to be prodigals. You're not going to struggle with mental illness. Like God will be there and he'll walk with you. And, you know, as long as you're faithful, it's all good. And, and for many of us that became Christians, we realized that's not the case. Like we became Christians and life is still extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I may never be healed. Um, this may be my, you know, thorn in the flesh that I carry. And is God enough? And I think that for a lot of us, we really don't think that God is enough. Like we say, mm-hmm. in the book, I say we say all is grace, but we we don't act like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is an aspect, I think, to weakness that is repulsive to us. We we don't we don't like to be weak because we think it reflects on our faith. I remember tweeting something a while ago about being like, you know, struggling with mental illness or you know, di- different things that, that are like neutrally, like morally neutral. But I remember somebody, well, several people had like messaged me and they said like, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, you know? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not like, those are just facts about my life. Like that's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a negative thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just is. And so, uh, and they, they meant well, but I, I was, but that is what people think when you admit this is what lack looks like, Yeah, mm. that it's, you know, somehow, something bad or something to be pitied or something to be, you know, instead of something to enter into. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I think we need a different way to look at it. We need a paradigm shift in the church because people that are, you know, lacking and needing and whatever, they're, they're not as welcome.
1: yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I really want to just comment just on what you're mentioning in this, this struggle with being comfortable with need and, and how difficult that is for us. Not only, yes, as you're mentioning, like in the church, we're so uncomfortable with it. But I mean, I, I will be honest, like you mentioned about being a four, I identify as a type two. And so having needs is, you know, it's right, it's, they're super uncomfortable.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And it feels like, you know, in pride, ends up being the thing that kicks in like, no, 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 I'm not supposed to have needs. I'm supposed to be helping you with yours. And, you know, so I just love how you just kind of deconstruct that and and explain that and, and um, highlight, you know, where grace really comes in and, and, and allows us that space and talking, as you mentioned about how, you know, it's really about, uh, you know, God walking with us, um, alongside us. So,
2: yeah, I think I I write somewhere in the book about how you know, our need might be actually the greatest blessing to the church. Like, you know, that that that's, and we don't see, we all always see like, oh, we have this abundance and we're able to bless other people. And we don't think about how, mm-hmm. you know, those that are weak or needy or poor really bless the church, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that that is something that, um, that we can offer. And I talk about being someplace at an extremely weak point and really wrestling with this question of what if my spiritual gift is weakness? Like, what if that is literally the thing that I bring to the church? Because mm. I just felt like I'm always I'm always sick or I'm falling apart or I'm, you know, feeling broken or there's just all these life things that are going on. And I just thought I always show up just kind of like, what if my hot mess is a little bit of like, this is what God has me offer you, a space to come and be like, I feel this too, or yeah. to relate. And so I was, mm-hmm. I, I was that's kind of, those ideas were what were spurring this book forward. Was this idea of like, what if, what if that's you? What if your your spiritual gift is weakness? And then I started thinking, what if that's what we're all called to, and we just don't yeah. know it? And uh, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, yeah, it is. We're all called to it. We're, our ministry of weakness, um, in different capacities and different ways. It will look different for everybody, but that's how we depend on each other. That's how we become a body.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Um, so you you write about, because obviously, if we're kind of deconstructing this paradigm of like things will be good and the everything will work out and and all that type of thing, what we're left with is this is really hard and like there's no answer necessarily to that right there's no like tidy uh, clean up explanation and so uh, what i love you you write about the the fluency of hope right like maintaining fluency in our language of hope and you've written a, a blog post on it and and it's also in this book but what does that mean i mean like how do we how do we do that if we don't end up saying well look i i got answers and it it cleaned up nice
2: yeah i think you know for me some of it is uh, allowing myself to be comfortable with the mystery This idea that we can know God, but not necessarily understand Him, and to be okay with that, to make peace with that. And I think He has given us this this sort of language of hope to look around and to see, you know, again, I'm an force, so like wonder. I remember laying in my bed and there were, you know, prescription bottles covering my nightstand, but, and I had been in the hospital. But when I got home, this one peony stem that I had had in this jar blossomed, blossomed right when I got home. And anybody could look at that and be like, this situation is terrible. But I was like, God, let it bloom right now for me. And it's small. It's just a flower and a vase. But I think that that comes back to paying attention. And then I talk a lot about writing the reminders So the, the fluency of hope. When I'm at my worst, I don't even believe God is necessarily real. But I know he is because I've written the reminders for time. Like this book is the reminder hmm. for times when I am, Did I even believe like, is he real? I don't feel anything. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel he's like, I, you know, and I can go back and I can look and I can go, Oh yeah, he's faithful. He comes for me again and again and again through my life. And I have these sort of altars erected along the way that let me have contain and, and, keep that hope even when I can't feel it, even when I can't see it. And, you know, I think we talk about like, you know, I talk about suicidal ideation. There are times when I, you know, not just a couple months ago, two months ago where I wrote about, you know, lying in bed and staring at the wall in the dark for weeks and waiting for new meds to kick in because I couldn't get out of bed Mm
1: -hmm. and not
2: even being sad, just, just being nothing feeling completely untethered from this world and just no, care about anything and just complete darkness and mm-hmm. numb. And I, you know, I think about those times when we need something to hold on to. And sometimes during those times I would literally just can't, like my mind was just blank and I would literally just count to 60 or 120 or 320 right in my blog post about just counting to that in and then starting over. And it was like this idea that you'll survive for 60 more seconds and then another 320 and, and then 500 more seconds. And that was what I did to pass the time. Sometimes when, you know, 500 seconds of surviving, it seems a big deal. And, um, and so there's this thing of like, how do we grasp hold and how do we keep doing, going through the motions when we don't feel like it so that we can come back eventually to speaking what was always there. You know, we, we get rusty, right? So, you don't speak a language for a long time you know you might have learned something you don't use it my my mother-in-law's deaf I learned sign language when I was you know teenager and then I didn't use it for a really long time and you know now when I'm like I, too, I can't keep up you know rusty in it and I think that a lot of us are like that we become Christians and we have this great hope and then life happens and we lose our ability to stay fluent and so these are these are practices that help us with that I think there are you know, ways that we we witness the glory of God and we bear witness to that among others and we write the reminders of it and that sustains us. You know, that keeps us through the times when there's not much hopeful that you know we can see in our yeah in our midst.
0: Yeah. Oh that's really that's good. Yeah. That's good. And I'm really glad you're you're here. I'm too. really glad <laughs> I am really glad you're here. Well you are certainly um, your vulnerability in this book is a gift. And the tremendous amount of resilience that is evident in in how you've coped with so many different forms of suffering and struggle that you've grown up with um, is clear. So uh, to the degree to which you feel comfortable, do you mind sharing a little bit with our audience about, you know, how you experienced suffering as a child and um, perhaps how that suffering may have influenced you and, and who you are today um, as an adult. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: so I think, you know, I ta- I start in the beginning of the book. I talk about being sexually molested when I was little. So that happened when I was four and five. And my parents were missionaries. so We were in Nepal. I was a little kid. And I never told anybody. And that, that secrecy and that shame and that, you know, not understanding what's happening. And you know, the thought that this is somebody that I look up to, this is somebody I trust, this is somebody I like, really messed with me. And immediately, you know, during that period, I was diagnosed with leukemia. So all of a sudden, we're up and we're moving. And my my parents are dealing with maybe she's going to die, you know, and, and so our whole life just got rerouted. And, and then from there, we came back to the States and reentry was incredibly hard for my parents, you know, they just didn't fit here. I think they had a very idealistic I I adore my parents, but, you know, they would admit in those young years, they just had this very idealistic idea of what missions was, and it was overseas, you know. They wanted, I mean, they wanted to live their whole lives there, and so coming back to like this nine-to-five normal life was very difficult, and then I was in recovery, and we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, I was often the
0: only I have to, Can I pause you real quick? Yeah. Sorry. I no, love I like, when you write in the book about that connection with Albuquerque, how your dad was flying over at the same time. Yeah, Someone right. was talking about yeah. mom, about a job yeah. opening. And right. I loved that. It's so we so ended up sweet. in
2: Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> uh,
0: and we
2: ended up buying it like a very, very rundown fixer upper house in the middle of like a middle class to upper middle class neighbor. So it was like this old um widower that had let the house just you know go downhill major fixer-upper but it was you know in our price range I don't think we considered that you know we would be the family on that block that didn't have any money and our neighbors would you know so automatically there was this sort of like I don't really belong here that was the first time we felt like I don't um with these people and then it was also the, like the time that I realized oh I'm not white like you know I I just kind of thought we're eh, all whatever. And, but then, you know, going to school, there was a lot of teasing. and and so all, I think all of those things, just feeling very awkward and very uncomfortable with myself, feeling like I didn't really belong anywhere, feeling like I was dirty. You know, I had these secrets and then I went to youth group and it was very, like the height of the purity, you know, culture kind of pushing for all of this stuff. Yeah. And I thought I'm already damaged goods. Like I already know all this stuff, done this stuff. And so that's not for me that's something that God reserves for those good people you know those clean people those you know virginal girls that are white and blonde with blue eyes and you know like yeah. and, and so my my vision of what it looked like to be blessed by God was very formed by those things and then yeah then I, I you know in my teens I definitely think that I started exhibiting signs of bipolar disorder looking back I can see it but at the time I couldn't so I had lots of severe depressions and and things like that. And then, you know, growing into adulthood, when I did come back to the Lord, kind of became a Christian and sort of a, uh, at my absolute lowest point, when I was just like ready to end everything, God was faithful to me. And, um, and I, you know, you'd think like, okay, well that's the, ha- that's the happy ending to the book, right? Then it ends and mm-hmm. it's all good. But it just was like, got so much worse. You know, it's just, there's just been a lot of things. We've struggled. Like my husband's a construction worker. They're, you know, Finances have been really tight. We had, you know, miscarriage. I had health problems right when we first got married. Um, Mm. So that was extremely, you know, I was 19, he was 20. Mm. And so we were just kids in this apartment and all of a sudden I was really sick. And I had gone from being this fun girl who goes to the beach in Hawaii with my boyfriend while he surfs to being this sick person who can't go out, can't, you know, he's taking care of me, he's working, we're broke. So there was all of this stuff that just, you know, we didn't, we didn't realize was coming. And, you know, as the mental illness kind of took hold um, and got worse, there were a lot of periods where, you know, before I really knew what was happening, the first time I was diagnosed was when I was uh, with by, uh, postpartum depression after my oldest son, he's yeah. now And that was the first time that anybody said that I was, you know, you're depressed because I, I was not functioning. I was, um, and, and I remember talking to my doctor, you know, but I was like 21 and poor and she was like, Oh, you know, baby blues, anybody in your situation would be stressed or, you know, whatever. It totally blew me off. Yeah, um, and I, I, didn't Ugh. know any better. So I was I like, okay, I'm that. just not coping well. I just need to try harder. Mm-hmm. And I was already a really stressed out mom. So there was, there's this big like fad for sleep training your kid. There was a book that went around that was like, this is how you parent. If you're a good Christian and you, you know, do this and you
1: mm-hmm. don't spoil your
2: baby. Or So I was like, that's what everybody at our church is doing. So I'm like, that's how you raise kids. That's how I'm going to do it. And I just felt like I was constantly failing because he was colicky and he screamed and I, just, you know, all of these problems. And so I just always felt like I was failing. Uh, I was failing God. I was failing at being, you know, and so I, I had this very legalistic Christianity for you know my early twenties and it just devastated me. And it just broke me in the worst of ways because God was, you know, I had access to him all of a sudden, but then I spent the rest of the time trying to, like, please him, and, you know, nothing really had changed, and yeah, it was just very, very hard, and I did not understand this concept of grace. I did not understand that our weakness is actually okay, and that God enters into our humanity, and has, and feels okay. what we feel, and knows me. and I just didn't, I didn't see that side of God until, until really probably in my 30s when I was diagnosed with bipolar and I went through these depressions and I started to see how God met me. God met me and Mm -hmm. was there with me. And it was that presence that, that deepened and that made me understand, like, I am literally laying in, you know, pajamas I haven't changed out of in like six days. I haven't showered. I am so tired. Everything hurts. I can't think. I can't do anything. And this sort of astounding realization that God adores me right there like I don't have to perform I don't have to do anything even if I could do nothing like he's never not going to be pleased with me he's never not going to love me you know there's there's that's always there and that identity of beloved really transforms everything because then when you are serving God it's out of like this overabundance of love and joy and um, relationship and it's not this like I have to do this or he's not gonna think I'm a good enough Christian, you know. Mm -hmm. Um I can admit when I'm suffering. I can admit when it's hard. I can Mm -hmm. be angry with him and say, what the heck? You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. my most honest prayers are what the heck. And it's not heck that I say. Yeah, I I was gonna say (laughs) I mean, you know, and that's that's the prayer, you know, but I feel like I can be that bold with God because he loves me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well and you even I think you had even said at one point in the book about how any parent would want their child to engage them and ask, and, and that goes back to the need conversation that we had, but, but it's kind of the same concept that imagine God as a parent, God's still going to want us to be engaged and wrestling and, and praying in whatever way prayer looks like at that time and that season. So that's yeah. so good.
1: And I love you were talking there about kind of these uh, narratives and lies that you believed about yourself, right? Like I'm I'm not good enough. I need to be doing this. I need to earn this. And you write in the book about the the lies that we tell about who we are and who others are. And a lot of my work in and counseling and things has to do with narrative. And so I I loved that part. But even right there, you talked about. Switching to this identity of beloved and things like that, right? And there's a chunk of hope of identity and uh, hope of brokenness and glory of the beloved and, and all that. Can you speak to, uh, I mean, I guess right there you, you mentioned kind of the shift of starting to understand that, but for folks who maybe are still on the front half of that saying, Hey, I, I don't understand. This is all terrible. And I feel like I'm failing constantly. What is that shift like? I mean, are there, are there things to maybe wrestle with or understand or, or think through?
2: Yeah, um, I think,
1: you know, there was this, there's this aspect
2: to knowing the character of God. And I think sometimes in our shift, maybe away from legalism and, um, you know, you have to have your quiet time you have to do this and you have to do that. There is a power in knowing who God says he is and believing him. And so I think that scripture is incredibly important in changing that. I, I always read the Bible, but when I was reading the Bible in this very legalistic way I was looking for all the things that I was supposed to do focusing on what you know what my my part of the deal is you have to do these things and for me when I started to really wrestle with God and my life and what it all was and and um my faith in a very you know real and authentic way instead of this performative way I focused on who he said he was instead of what I'm supposed to do and looking for the character and nature of God um, something that I can depend on and something that I can know that was a big part honest prayer like I I can't pray when I just talk because I start thinking like should I for dinner and, oh did I you know like it's just my mind doesn't do that so really writing was a huge way for me to start telling different stories because they were like prayers I would write out you know what I was feeling and somehow by translating for me at least translating onto the page just the things that weren't true stood out. It's in print, like it's there, it's glaring at me. And I can see like, oh, this is, I just wrote this down. Like, this is something that I, that is coming out. You know, I feel like for me, when I write stuff, like I'll be like, oh, I didn't know I thought that, (laughs) you know? like, uh, And so I think it can be a really good practice to journal. You know, I talk about writing a lot and storytelling a lot. The stories that we tell each other, the stories that we tell ourselves really matter. But I think some of that is just attentiveness to what are we telling ourselves? Mm, what are yeah. we believing? Like for real, when we're really honest, what are we actually believing about yep. ourselves? Yeah, and then what right. are we believing about God? And then, the, then connecting those mm. two things. Mm-hmm. No, I talk in the book about how I thought God was, you know, stingy and mean. <laughs> and I still sometimes will go back to that. Like, are you going to hold out on me? Are you, you know, are you going to show up? Are you, you know, and wrestling with those things. This is how I, this is the default to how I refer to God. This is the default in my thinking when I'm feeling scared or when I'm feeling anxious. My default is this idea of God is, is scarce and withdrawn, and, you know, or, or whatever it is to really wrestle with that and then to come in with a different story. And, and some of that for me has been, right, like this is what it could look like if somebody just, if I wrote down all the facts of my life, right, some i've written a blog because recently if i just gave you the naked facts you you would probably be like you know against the constancy of suffering it would be hard to say that god is good but Mm. you know just the facts don't tell the truth necessarily and so the truth of it is god has always been faithful to me Mm. and by writing it out and paying attention and noticing it i'm able to tell myself a different story. I'm able to see the gospel you know, at work in my life in the most desperate place and see God's hand in areas. I don't have answers for everything. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, we could have avoided that, Lord. But, <laughs> um, and I don't know why we mm-hmm. did that. But you know, mm-hmm. because I know his character, I can trust that I don't need to know necessarily all the answers. I know him and that's enough.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: Gosh, that's so good. Well, one of the the questions that we often have for those who, you know, have written a book or when they come on to talk about their research projects is we recognize that, you know, writing this book and doing this work and especially pausing to look inward and put these pieces together back. I I mean, like, to reflect on these pieces of your life, like, that's a lot of work to do that and excavate those, right, (laughs) those into excavate stories. And and so given that, you know, the tremendous amount of work and energy um, and wrestling and the feelings and everything that comes with it, one thing, you know, we're really curious about is having done this work, like, what is your hope for this book? What is it that you want readers to really take away? You know, you're offering this tremendous gift to the world. So what is it that you hope that readers, you know, take away from this?
2: Yeah, I think um, Sharon Hottie Miller, she's one of my endorsers. And she wrote, I can't remember exactly what she wrote, but she talked about that this book will, you know, heal as much as it cuts. And I think that Mm -hmm. I just thought that is so my hope for this book because some people... You know, need that cutting. That that like this is this is what the church looks like in North America, and it should be different. Mm-hmm. This is how we view poverty, and it should be different. So, my hope is that some people will be uncomfortable, and some people will feel that conviction of this is how I've seen things, or this is how we've done things, and that's not really the way of Christ. Like I really do hope that. So I do hope that there's that that necessary cutting. But I also, you know, talking about, like, I hope that it heals as much. I, I don't want to just be, like, tearing down all the things and, like, this is what's, everything that's wrong with the North American church because it's also saved my life, you know, in a lot of ways, that coming back into mm-hmm. inter- back into community. And, and so as far as the healing part goes, you know, we're doing my launch team right now trying to get everything out in the world. And a lot of the people on my lunch team are long, they've been here since 2012, you know, Mm -hmm. tracking me all along. And so many of them have their own stories to tell. And when I finally kind of knocked all the critics out of my head and really focused and thought, okay, I'm going to write this book. In my mind, I had like very distinct readers in my, like, this is for her. This is for this person who always Mm. comments and deals with this. This is for this person, you know? And so I very, very much had, you know, and of course I hope other people read it. I mean, you know, but my heart for the book was that those people that feel alone and that struggle and that feel like, you know, the world often goes dark or there's no place for them in church or where is God when I feel this way or am I always going to feel this way or how Mm -hmm. could this be a good thing? Not that the, the depression is good, but how could, you know, God meet me in this thing? How can my weakness be something that's a gift? Um, I really wrote it for them, you know, to be sort of this balm, and to say, you're welcome here, and you're wanted here, and you're necessary to the body of Christ. You're not mm-hmm. this extraneous thing that needs to be fixed. You know, mm-hmm. you are precious and beloved, and, and we need you. And um, and so that's my that was my hope is to to really, you know, I push the language of hope, and I'm like, this is what it this is what helps me survive, and I really hope it helps you survive. Um, but also to experience this flourishing that God has for us. If yeah. we can have all of these things and still flourish. And what it looks like to to be flourishing is not what the world often tells you it's going to look like. It looks like, yeah. you know, like, like this. Sometimes hard mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. messy and unshowered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but sometimes, maybe during book lunch. That's a part <laughs> of it. Um, just
0: saying oh, that's but good. Yeah. one day at a time yeah. that's
2: it yeah but um but yeah that's my hope my hope is that they would feel god's presence and that they would have a deeper understanding of the gospel and how much god loves them That is so
0: good
1: yeah Hey, if you want to connect with Aaliyah, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest using the links in the show notes. You can read her blog at aliajoy.com, and you can buy Glorious Weakness on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Uh, you can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me on any social media at robert-vor or at robert-vor.com. Aaliyah, thank you so much for being with us today and, and spending some time talking about this wonderful beautiful book thank Thank you you. so much yeah i hope you have a great rest of your day Yeah. yeah you too
0: thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast